So uh, we are on this journey, and that is the best way to understand these holidays, uh, that we are on a journey. And in a certain respect, the whole spiritual endeavor is a journey. You know what I mean? The whole thing is a journey. Uh, uh, faith in the Lord and living your life and uh, uh, the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows, uh, all of it is, is a, uh, a journey. You know? and, uh, and it's very interesting uh, because when you uh, read the Torah, it's fascinating because Israel's relationship with God takes place on the road, basically, constantly moving, constantly uh, 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 being in, in turmoil in the land and going into Egypt, uh, coming out of Egypt, and then so much takes place uh, in, in those wilderness uh, wanderings. Uh, the whole paradigm of life uh, is in those wilderness wanderings. Uh, many people have written much and have spoken much on, on that fact, and you see it all the way through uh, the scriptures. Uh, there's really no part of the Bible that is not affected by, by the wandering motif, by the journeying of the, uh, of the uh, children of Israel. And it's very interesting because, you know, there, was, there would be many who would say, even though there's a state of Israel today, there's many who would say we're still in exile. Still in exile. And not just us, not just us uh, Messianic uh, Jewish folks, but I have heard it from, uh, I heard, I've heard it in person in the city in a sermon uh, more than once uh, in, a, in one of the local synagogues that we are still in exile, and exiled because we're still waiting for the Messiah to come. Uh, in exile, because even though there is a state of Israel, we are not uh, in the quote-unquote metaphorical promised land. I've heard that very thing. And of course, as Messiah followers, we know that we're in and we're out, and we're in and we're out. We're, we're in, in that uh, the fact is, is that the Messiah has come. And we do experience redemption and uh, the love of God and so on and so forth. But yet, uh, I don't think there's anyone here that could say that they've reached the promised land, you know, uh, that, that, that could say that uh, now all hardship is behind me, uh, and now in Messiah, uh, you know, it's just all uh, coming up roses. Uh, I think the only people who would say that are people... Uh, in denial and have other issues going on. Uh, because I don't know anyone who, has, who doesn't have tsuris issues, problems somewhere in their lives. And the fact is, doesn't the Apostle Paul say himself, we groan, and then he, go, then he repeats it. And he says, yes, we ourselves groan, waiting for the redemption of our body. That's what he says in Romans chapter 8, uh, acknowledging that very fact. Even he talks about suffering hardship. And so uh, when we come to the high holy days, none of us come with just a clean slate, right? We come with baggage. We come with issues uh, in our lives. And I hope that our time over these holidays is not just, as we would say, uh, a bunch of services. Uh, and say, oi, we have so many services. Oi, I got to show up for this. Oi, we got this and that. You know, then we're missing the point, right? The point of coming together 
on Rosh Hashanah and on Yom Kippur uh, is uh, as a community, as, uh, as a congregation, uh, moving into a, uh, a journeying, one might say, down this road of repentance uh, and forgiveness uh, and restoration. You know? And that's really what I hope uh, that we accomplish uh, while we're here and as we interact uh, with, uh, with each other. Uh, and uh, back on Rosh Hashanah, we uh, began uh, looking at a great passage of Scripture which serves as a paradigm for this time of year, and it does have to do with the journey, and it comes from Exodus uh, uh, chapter 33 and 34. Uh, what a great paradigm it is for us, because when we talk about approaching God having sinned, uh, the golden calf ser serves as uh, you know, uh, a real major one, right? A real major communal sin. And so we began talking last week on Rosh Hashanah about what happens afterwards, what happened after they sinned, right? And uh, we saw there that Moses cries out to God, you know, after he pleads with God not to destroy all the people, and after he pleads with God not to abandon them, not to leave them but, and then abandon them, but then he says, show me your ways, show me your glory. Moses needed something, right? And we talked about that. And uh, we talked about how God answers. And we spoke uh, a bit about the midot uh, rachamim, the attributes of mercy that we read about in chapter 34. Uh, in verses 5 and 6. Well, you know, on Yom Kippur, we read these, they're called the Midot Rachamim, the attributes of mercy, and uh, in a little while, Marcy is going to come and lead us in singing them, and we're going to sing them tonight, and we're going to sing them tomorrow morning, and we're going to sing them tomorrow night, because on Yom Kippur, uh, this is a, uh, a, a real focus. And so, on Rosh Hashanah, we blow the shofar, and we wake up and we, we look introspectively into our lives. And Lord willing, we are coming with repentant hearts. Hearts that are turned toward God. But really the theme on Yom Kippur is receiving his forgiveness. See, It's really a holy day about forgiveness. And that's why it's on this holiday that we repeat, and if we were at a, a service at a, one of like a local Orthodox synagogue, you wouldn't just say it once, uh, this service, and once tomorrow, once, and it's like over and over, it's like a refrain, you know, over and over again. It's kind of, it reminds me of a, you know, uh, when we do Kaddish, most of us here, you're not familiar, many of you, with uh, how a synagogue service works. You know, it's said like seven times every Shabbat. The, it's not always called the mourner's Kaddish. But it's, it's like a doxology that's uh, like a refrain in the service, uh, the Kaddish. And so this Midot uh, uh, Rachamim is also sung, as it were, like a, almost like a doxology, but as, but as a prayer. Uh, please, God, we're trusting in these attributes that you're going to forgive us. See? And it's said over and over again. So there's a real emphasis uh, on this, on Yom Kippur. And so we want to 
talk a little bit more about this, and tonight we want to look uh, beyond that and at the aftermath of that and, uh, and, what, uh, and what happens. All right, so now when we look, let's take a look uh, uh, here. Uh, again, in chapter 34, all right, and uh, where it actually all takes place. Moses goes up the mountain, and he, uh, you know, and he cuts the stones, right? Uh, and now God is going to appear uh, to him, right? And uh, as we saw last time, it says in verse 5 in chapter 34, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands and forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. And it bears repeating that we're missing the point of this passage when we're so focused on the last part, when we talk about visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren of the third and fourth generations, because that's not exactly the thrust or the point of the passage. The point of the passage is that Moses is assured of the forgiveness of God. And it is fascinating because if you go back and you read all the way through uh, the entire uh, book of Genesis, Breshit, and up until this point, and especially after uh, 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 chapter um, uh, 32, where you have the golden calf, it's fascinating because while Moses and God have this discussion uh, not to destroy all the people, but judge those who are guilty and so on. And then while Moses again has to, in a sense, at least in the, uh, the way it's described to us, have this, conversa- this difficult conversation with God not to abandon the, the people by themselves. The one thing that is missing and the one thing that is never said by God until this point is the Lord who forgives. You can look it up. There's a few places where people pray, Lord, please forgive. And you can infer forgiveness. For example, you could infer forgiveness in that God does not kill everybody. You could infer forgiveness in God says, okay, I won't abandon you. But it's not until he comes, when Moses cries to God, you see, I believe that is what is behind this thing with Moses and God here. That the one thing that Moses needs to know is that God indeed is merciful and he's loving and that his loving kindness, which he has mentioned before, overflows. And may I suggest that while chesed is used in a few places prior to this, Here's where we read, and it's overflowing. That's why this is such an important passage of Scripture. Because, you see, we really learn here and understand it clearly the heart of God. The heart of God. This is who he is. 
This is what his name is. Now, so this made me think, I'm going to look up all of the verses, all the places where we read, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. And, you know, there's like uh, 170 of them or something, right? Well, it's a fascinating study to look at the context of all of those passages. And I just want to read a few of them, okay? Uh, for example, okay, uh, you read in uh, Breshid in chapter 15, uh, when God is uh, speaking to Abraham very early on and making the covenant. He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. Then in chapter 28, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, he's speaking to now uh, Jacob, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Okay? So here, the first two times we read, I am the Lord, it's in the context of God is defining himself as the one who is in covenant relationship and gives this land to Abraham and to his children. That's who the Lord is. I am the Lord, the one who gives you this land. Okay? Now, in Exodus chapter 6, we read, now we read this at Passover, but boy, this is really a cornerstone passage of, of who God is, and it's all about his name and all that which we have talked about, okay, on uh, Erev Rosh Hashanah and the morning service. But I want to read it here, uh, with, uh, framing it as, okay, this is what God means when he says, I am the Lord, okay? In verse 2 of chapter 6, God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. And I appear to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but not by my name, yud heh vav -Hey. Now in English, we say Yahweh, Jehovah, uh, yud heh vav -Hey, or as we would say, uh, Adonai. I did not make myself known to them. And I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land which they sojourned. And furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel because of the Egyptians, because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage. And remember what we say about, I will, I will, I will. This is his name. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Okay. Uh, then I will take you for my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I am the Lord. I am the deliverer. I am the covenant keeper. I am the one who gives you the land. I am the Lord. He is defining himself in relationship to the Jewish people as the one who does all these things. That's who I am. Okay? Now, there's lots of other places that we could turn, and you know me, I would love to read them all. But we can turn to some other, let's turn to Leviticus chapter 18. You know, as you're turning there, I shared this with someone earlier. I have a cousin who is a, a Reformed rabbi, has a congregation in Poughkeepsie, New York. 
And so uh, she has a blog, and uh, so she wrote on it, uh, I was perusing the internet, and I looked uh, at a particular website where she and her colleagues share notes and sermons, and, so, and I noticed my word count was the most of all of my colleagues, of my sermons. And I thought, well, runs in the family. Okay. <laughs> what word count? Okay. <laughs> anyway... All right, so here in Leviticus chapter 18. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. So you have to ask yourself, do you ever ask yourself this question? Why does he keep saying that? Why not just tell them what to do? Why does he keep saying, I am the Lord your God? Because he's continuing to help them to understand who he is. Okay, I am the Lord your God. Then he says, you shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt, where, uh, where you lived, nor are you to do what is done in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes to live in accord with them. I am the Lord your God. In other words, I am different. <laughs> I am unique. I am holy. I am other. You need to be like me. I am the Lord your God. The Lord your God is different from all the other so-called gods. You don't follow after their ways. You follow me because I am the Lord your God. Understand God, G-O-D, functioned in the ancient world kind of like the word G-O-D does in our world. It is a generic term for deity, right? I've said this before, right? You know this. But if you go out in the street and you ask me, do you believe in God? Do you believe in God? Nine out of ten people are going to say, yes, I believe in God. What that means, who knows? See? But Yudhe Vavhe, Adonai, I am the Lord your God. I'm the, I am the, the one and only one. I'm the God of Israel. I'm different from all others, and so you need to follow me in my ways. Right? He's already said to them how compassionate he is in the sense, using the word as benevolent, as maybe that's a good word, uh, benevolent the one who's in covenant, the one who gives them land, the one who's going to redeem them out of Egypt. That's who he is. The one who remembers his covenant. That's who he is, right? But he's also the unique one, the holy one. And so live after me because I am the Lord your God. Now in chapter 19, and this is what brings us to the thrust of what we're talking about in Exodus. Okay, at the beginning of chapter 19 of Leviticus, he says, Speak to the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Again, I am the, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Notice then he says this, Every one of you shall, re shall reverence his father and his mother, or his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord. And then it says, Do not turn to idols, or make for yourselves molten gods. I am the Lord your God. Now, I want to make a little point here, and that is, you'll notice, probably, if you did not see verse 3, but you only saw verse 2, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy, you would expect the very next thing to be, don't worship false gods, or don't make other gods of wood and stone. But it says, every one of you shall reverence his father and his mother. Okay, And then it says, and then you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. There's, there's a lot of things we could say about this. But I just want to mention that you'll notice there is not this big chasm 
between moral laws and ceremonial laws. In fact, that's a whole man-made category and thing. It's all one thing, okay? It's all one thing. I wanted just to point that out because that's going to come in handy in a minute. But now let's go a little farther down in the passage. Okay, um, verse 9. Now when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field. Neither shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit from your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Then he says, you shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another, and you shall not swear falsely by my name so as to profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. You shall not curse a deaf man nor place a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall revere your God. But you shall revere your God. I am the Lord. Isn't it interesting, and have you ever wondered, why, for example... In verse 14, why doesn't it say this? You shall not curse a deaf man nor place a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall help the blind person because they uh, can't see and it would really be a helpful and nice thing to do. But it doesn't say that. It says, you shall not curse a deaf man nor place a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall revere your God. I am the Lord. That is fascinating. And what it means is, is that, you do this because your life is to be a reflection of my name. Don't worry about how you pronounce it. But your life is to be a reflection of my name. See, it's just like, have you ever said to your child, you know, uh, we are kind to all people because, you know, we're, uh, I'll use myself. <laughs> no, that's not good. I, I, I'll call my name. We have Smith, so I can't use it. I'll say Mr. Jones, right? We're Joneses. We don't do that kind of thing. That's not who we are. Uh, you know, it's, it's not what we're made of. That's what God is saying. He's saying, you don't hurt vulnerable people. I am the Lord your God. You are identified with me. My name is on you. You need to live, as it were, my attributes. You need to live that way. I am the Lord your God. See? And, and it's very interesting that if you follow the passage down, he continues to say that. So he identifies himself as the God who is merciful, the God who is gracious, the God who is benevolent. But it's not until when we come to after the golden calf, and this terrible sin has happened. We've got to really get that in our heads. This terrible sin has happened. And perhaps the people thought they were a lost cause, even though, okay, he's not going to kill us. Okay, he's not going to abandon us. But does he really love us? Does he really forgive us for this great sin we've done. And so we see here in Exodus 34, the answer is yes. That's why he says, that's why he says, the Lord 
the Lord God at the beginning of verse 6 of Exodus 34. He is saying as clear as clear can get, that is my name. Yes, you heard me say before this, I am the deliverer. You have heard me say, I am giving you this land when I invoke my name. When I invoke my name, I say I'm going to deliver you. When I invoke my name, I'm going to give you this land. And I'm invoking my name and telling you that I not only am compassionate and gracious and really patient and slow to anger, but I am overflowing with loving kindness. I don't just have loving kindness, but I am overflowing with it. Do we get that? Do we get that? That no matter who you are and what you've done, for we've all done something. And you know what? If we were to go through the excruciating task of hearing it all, we would realize that we've all done a lot. And we probably show better faces publicly than we really are. Myself included. Good night. Yikes. And my guess is, is that something that holds us back often from really experiencing the, the unbounding joy of the the joy unspeakable, you know, that, that Peter says, joy unspeakable, is because we really feel like, okay, well, he hasn't killed me, and he, and he hasn't abandoned me. He's given me the Ruach HaKodesh, and, and I'm going to go to heaven when I die, or I'm going to be with him forever. Okay, and he's judicially taken away my sins, and so I know he loves me. But do you realize he really does? And that his loving kindness, his loyal love to you is overflowing. And I would suggest that one of the reasons that we have a difficult time getting it and experiencing it is because we're not receiving it in the context of human relationship. And that's what we're supposed to do here. Not here like when we're sitting in the service in that moment necessarily, although it is much better when we see each other than when we're just looking forward. That's, but we're going to fix that. Anyway, uh, but I mean it afterwards. On Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and on Sundays. That's why you have here in chapter, in chapter 19... Be kind to vulnerable people. I am the Lord your God. It's what we're called to be. It's what we're called to do. And think about all of those one another passages in the Brit Hadashah. We're members one of another. Love one another. Uh, you know, speak into each other's life and so on and so forth. You see, that's how we, so I, I believe that's how we feel it oftentimes. Not just the invisible direct link to God. Although that is, uh, that is the best, no doubt, no doubt. Okay, so it's important on Yom Kippur that if we really come with repentant hearts, he really receives us back. He really does. And it's interesting because of all people, as Messiah followers, we're the people who should be feeling it, right? And sometimes that just adds more guilt on because I'm a believer in Yeshua and I still don't feel it. Or I used to feel it, but I don't now. Ay, 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 ay. Right? But know that you are indeed forgiven. That is his nature. And he demonstrated in the greatest way his nature when Yeshua came into this world. 
you know, I'm going to read the most overworked verse that there is. And who would think on Kol Nidre, one would say these words. For God so loved the world in this way. Loved the world. Well, not just me, by the way. Like all of humanity and the entire world. Cosmos, the entire, the whole, as my father would have said, the whole shooting match. Okay? Okay? That he gave his only begotten son, which is a euphemism if you go back into the Psalms for a king, by the way, that whoever believes in him, embraces him, has faith in him, identifies in him, should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe in him has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. yud heh vav that's who he is. And when we embrace Yeshua, we are, embrace, we are embracing the God of Israel. And so we need to really understand and know that. And I hope, and my prayer for all of us is that we would know that we are loved, that you are loved. We don't say that enough. We're too afraid of, uh, you know, some of these guys on TV that preach in big uh, stadiums um, in Texas. But, you know... Uh, <laughs> You are loved by God in Yeshua, the Messiah. Sometimes when we preach and when we teach and when we read the Bible, it's like all we're doing is getting whipped. But God indeed loves you, and that's why you can come to him freely with your sins. Because you know that he is Avinu, our father, and Malkinu, our king, the one who oversees it all. And he does indeed I receive us. You know, there are many verses uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the New Covenant that remind us of this. Uh, and I'm just going to read a couple of them. In the book of Acts, in chapter 10, this issue of forgiveness, that, that God has indeed forgiven us. He loves us and he forgives us. In um, verses uh, 40. Uh, in verse 43 of chapter 10 of Acts, of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Receives forgiveness of sins. In Ephesians chapter 1, uh, in verse uh, 7, he says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which, by the way, he lavished upon us. Lavished, like poured it all over us. If you go back a few verses at the very end of verse 4 and then into verse 5, it says, in love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Messiah Yeshua to himself. In his love. In fact, later on in this, um, in this uh, very book, we read in chapter 5, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of God. And walk in love, just as Messiah also loved you and gave himself up for you, offering an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. 
And so indeed, God loves us. And this is what he was communicating uh, to Moses and to the children of Israel. So what happens after that? After that, in, uh, if you go all the way back now to Exodus chapter 34, what happens uh, after that, notice now, Moses, of course, uh, as, we, uh, as we have shared, he, he just uh, falls on his face and prays. Just falls on his face, right? Uh, and then he says um, in uh, verse 9, If now I have found favor in thy sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate, and do thou pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as thine own possession. And then what does God say? He doesn't say, well, all right. No, he doesn't. He says, behold, I'm going to make a promise. I'm going to make a covenant. And then he says, before all of your people, I will perform miracles which have not been produced in all the earth, nor among any of the nations and all the people among whom you will see uh, the working of the Lord. For it is a fearful thing that I'm going to perform with you. In other words, I'm going to demonstrate who I am in you. And I'm going to do tremendous things. And this is what he says right away. He says, Be sure to observe what I have commanded you this day. Behold, I'm going to drive out all the ites, all those enemies. I'm going to drive them out. Am the Amorite, the Canaanite, Hittite, Perizzite, Hivite, Jebusite. Watch yourself that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you're going, lest it become a snare in your midst. But rather you're to tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and cut down their asherim. Now in verse 14, we're going to get another name, another name of the Lord here. As for you, for you shall not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods and sacrifice to their gods. And someone invite you to eat his sacrifice. And then he goes on to say all the ramifications that if you play the harlot with that. Then he says, you shall not make for yourself a molten god. And then after that, he talks about the three uh, pilgrimage feasts and so on and, and all of that. It's interesting what he says here and what he doesn't say. Okay, So what he is saying is, okay, I am the forgiving God. This transaction has been made. I forgive you. I receive you back. Even after the golden calf. I receive you back. Now, what I'm asking you is, is be devoted to me. Be devoted to me. It's not just here's a laundry list of rules and regulations. Here's the policy manual. Okay? No. Love me. Love me back. Love me back. And, and live the life that I'm giving you. He's focused, though, on the, the, uh, being devoted to him solely because that's the sin they committed. That's why in this particular section, he doesn't mention like all the Ten Commandments or all the laws of human relationships because the Achilles heel of this people, of our people from time immemorial, is going after other gods. That is like the Achilles heel. When you read the entire biblical history, do you know that there are Bible scholars that believe and write that Israel did not become a monotheistic people until after the Babylonian captivity? And you know why they write that? Because the problem that our people have had all the way through Joshua Judges 
First and Second Samuel and through First and Second Kings, and that the prophets continually rail about besides justice and mercy, is that they keep going after foreign gods and and living in such a way uh, that uh, depicts foreign worship. And the ramifications of that, the fruit of that is immorality and unethical behavior. You see? Uh, And so continuously, that's the problem. And so he's focused on that. And then he enters into this covenant renewal. Uh, And we see all the, if you go all the way down, to verse 27, then the Lord said to Moses, write down these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. And he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat bread or drink water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. But what's articulated, what's focused on, is how they are to approach God. See? And it's a co- but, it's, but what we want to understand First, it's a covenant renewal ceremony. On Yom Kippur, and you know I say this every Shabbat almost, we need to see our service as a covenant renewal opportunity. Know that you are forgiven. Know that your golden calf experience is forgiven. And that God receives you and he's abounding in loving kindness. And he loves you. And you know what? What he wants to do with us here on Yom Kippur is to reiterate this covenant, to like have the like a, a renew our vows, to remember who we are in Messiah, and to love Him back, and to freely confess our sins. And as we invoke the Midot Rachamim, the attributes of mercy, know that God has received you in His bosom. And may we be passionate and motivated to live a life of devotion. And may that be our challenge tonight. Am I living the life of devotion? Am I loving Him back? Because let me say this. When we do, our, we live better lives. We live better lives. When we l- live God's way, we make better choices. We live better lives. Does that mean it's a bed of roses? No, it doesn't mean that. But it means that we become better because we're reflecting the image and likeness of God the way, he, the, way the Creator created us to be. And so on Yom Kippur, let us remember the Midot Rachamim. Let us remember the attributes of mercy. And let us live like people who are restored to God as we interact with each other and with this world. Now tomorrow morning, we're going to continue this passage and talk a little bit about Moses' face shining and what that means uh, 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 to us in our own walk with God. But for now, let's keep these thoughts in mind and let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. We live in a world, God, that is hard and selfish and, and where, where it is difficult to be respected. Lord God, I pray that we would really live as children who have been transferred from that domain, transferred from that domain of darkness, indeed, to the kingdom of your beloved Son. Lord, may we live in such a way that demonstrates your love. 
may we live in such a way where we are receivers and givers of your love. And Lord, I pray that that we would know we're accepted in the beloved and we would live securely in that way and live freely in that way. Lord, on this Kol Nidre, on this Yom Kippur, uh, Lord, I pray that as we fast and as we meditate and as we think on these things, Lord, we may, we may, we may know that your arms are open and that in Yeshua we receive your love, Lord. And I pray, God, I pray for each of us that we would truly receive your love, even right now, tonight, as we confess our sins and as we remember the attributes of God. Lord, may we know, indeed, that we are loved and that we are forgiven and that you are the covenant-keeping and covenant-loving God. Lord, thank you that we can say, as the Haftorah from last Shabbat tells us, I will love them freely. Thank you, Lord, that we can experience that even now. We pray in Messiah's name.